I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know, journalists, insiders, all of whom can break down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Listen now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to Trial by Content. It's not a Dark Knight Appreciation podcast. It's the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the Coliseum of Contentious Opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base will smash together our nominations with yours and determine the final four-nominee poll that will enter trial by content and decide the true answer for all time. I'm Dave Gonzalez, back with two of my favorite podcasters that I've worked with covering shows like The Legend of Korra on Nickelodeon, Game of Thrones on HBO, and the ABC series Lost, I've also written on the internet about pop culture since the days of blogs. Remember those? You don't have to because we're all hotel now. (laughs) I'm Joanna Robinson. This is one of my favorite hours of the week because I get to hang out with Dave and Neil, two of my favorite people who both, fun fact, have longer hair than I do right now. You know, I think for the first time in our entire working relationship. But yeah, we've been podcasting together for a long time. You might know me from other Ringer shows like The Ringerverse or I've been on The Big Pick or Prestige TV, but this is where I get to hang out with my old pals and and have a fun fight every week. And I'm Neil Miller, and I'm also very happy to be here and guilty of being on all those podcasts that Dave and Joanna just mentioned we've done together. Uh, I'm also the founder of a little website called Film School Rejects, and I think most relevant to this week's episode, the proprietor of a Twitter account called One Perfect Shot which is now also a six-episode docu-series available to stream on HBO Max. It's, uh, it's a very real thing, and uh, I'm excited. Yay! This week, to celebrate our brethren, in honor of one perfect shot, it's time to debate some perfect shots of our own, the ones that really have to sit with you. It's the ending shot. It's at the forefront of your mind after the movie, and occasionally it emphasizes the whole point of the endeavor. So this week, what is the best final shot in movie history. We might have already heard what inspired this a little bit, but what's most important is last week, we also had a trial by content, and we need to figure out who won. Joanna, how'd we do last week? 
Uh, if by we you mean me, I won. No. Uh, so listen, last week we 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 argued about the most egregious best picture snub. Our nominees were The Dark Knight, Do the Right Thing, The Shining, and Singing in the Rain. And uh, Dark Knight pulled ahead only barely, squeaking out a victory over Do the Right Thing. And then it was The Shining, which performed really, 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 really well on the dot com. It was actually pretty close at the top there. And then uh, Singing in the Rain didn't do quite as well, but we all three of us agreed that it was a great uh, pick. So mm-hmm. it has a, it has our love and support. We will not be talking about that's two weeks in a row that something from the Dark Knight has won the poll. I'm just here to promise you we're not talking about anything anything Batman related. Uh, right. Despite week. the fact that the Dark Knight does have a pretty good final shot. And, we considered you know, it. Final moment. <laughs> uh, we, we really just had to keep it out this week because we get it. Y'all love the Dark Knight. But the whole reason we're here. So Dave and I have known Neil for a really, really long time. And for many years now. That's how long this particular project has been gestating. So it is mm-hmm. a huge victory for Neil to have his show debut on HBO Max. But also, I feel like Dave and I have been along for the ride. Like, Dave, do you feel a little, like, tiny sliver of the of the joy and the victory for Neil here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I feel, I mean, it's it's a prideful thing. Not like a I'm his father prideful thing, but I'm, <laughs> I'm his good friend prideful thing. We're so proud of you. We are all Aww. hotel. We love you very much. Why don't you tell folks who are listening what the one perfect shot show is and maybe if they are not on twitter at all what the one perfect shot account is on twitter sure yeah and it's interesting because y'all are some of the few folks who have known about this project for almost the entire like more than three years at this point that i've been working on it but it is it's a six episode docuseries about filmmaking it's hosted and created for television by ava duvernay and y'all know her as the director of selma and the chief of the Array Filmworks company that distributes a lot of really cool movies in addition to the ones she makes. So yeah, it's it's six episodes. Each episode features a different director talking about what they believe to be is their one perfect shot. Each one of them chose it. So for example, you have Patty Jenkins talking about the moment, uh, the No Man's Land sequence in Wonder Woman, where Wonder Woman first emerges in costume and that's a lot of fun. And you have John M. Chu talking about the wedding scene in Crazy Rich Asians where the lights go down and the water comes up into the mm-hmm. aisle. AKA the one that makes Dave cry. Every AKA time the one that <laughs> crushes everybody. Yeah. So it's, it's a really fun series. I hope it's for, it's made for film lovers and it is all inspired of course, by the Twitter account that I mentioned one perfect shot where we uh, share individual frames from what we define as perfect moments in movies. And for me, it's never just been about cinematography or the beauty of that single frame, but about the emotion that can be recalled when you see that individual frame. Like I always talk about my favorite shot is a seemingly pedestrian shot in Jurassic Park of two water cups sitting on a dashboard. But... um how that shot was made, what that shot means in the context of the rest of the scene, and how every time I see even a still just one single frame from that shot, uh, I can hear the rumbling of the T-Rex coming towards the Jeep that. that the kids are in. And so to me, it's all about that you know emotional muscle memory that we, we carry with us from our favorite movies. And that's what we try to celebrate with the One Perfect Shot Twitter account and... Uh, 
Yeah, with the TV show, we try to go a little deeper. We get filmmakers and some of their collaborators to talk about how how different shots came to be and talk about their personal stories as filmmakers. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's for anybody who likes likes movies. I always think about my mom, who would totally, you know, she watches the Oscars every year. She's the reason, you know, she's the person who took me to see Jurassic Park when I was 10. And uh, the love of the behind-the-scenes featurette is sort of where it all comes from for me. Can I ask you, so, like, you know, I've seen other, you know, uh, videos or whatever where, where directors have broken down their work uh, visually. Mm-hmm. But can you talk about a little bit about the cool technical aspect of your show that sets it apart from maybe some of the breakdowns we've seen in the past? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times most special features are directors sitting in a chair at a junket talking into a camera and it's just them talking about their process. And usually in a way that I think is often informed by the fact they're promoting their movie when they make those features. So what we tried to do was give directors a little more space to sit and have a deep conversation about their movie. And then uh, about two thirds of the way through every episode, they get to stand up, walk across the set into basically into their shot. And it's a visual effects rendering of the shot around them. And they can walk through the scene. They can basically do kind of like a little mini Ted talk where it's the director sort of walking you through the sequence and describing what it was like on set. And you you get moments like Michael Mann describing the way it sounded to shoot the big shootout at the end of Heat. And for me as a movie fan, that is, you know, that's candy. That's you could I would eat that all day. And uh, I think that the ability for them to not only have the space to have a full discussion about their movies and their careers, but also be able to walk into their perfect shot is uh, it's pretty cool. It was a very cool idea when we started and it turned out pretty cool uh, in the end. Heat is an all time like, you know, banger as far as Mm -hmm. the ringer ringer audience goes. I think it's like maybe top five ringer movie, the heat. So uh, (laughs) the heat. heat. So I think think people would love love that episode in particular. It's very difficult for me to describe to people how intensely hard it is to keep a secret like Michael Mann is in the One Perfect Shot TV show for several (laughs) months. (laughs) Like I was ready to, you know, I... I've known for a while and was not able to tell anyone and uh, definitely felt like I, at one point, probably on a podcast with the two of you, it was just going to come out because it was that kind of a big deal for me. So I'm glad it's finally come to fruition and everybody knows. Dave, do you have a personal favorite shot that's like not the one you're discussing today because we're doing final shots, but do you have one that comes to mind when you think of like a favorite shot from a film? Oh, I mean, I do remember there's a ton in Psycho, which almost uh, came up here in uh, terms of final shots. Uh, It's not, but uh, specifically uh, the first shot that stitches together uh, like three different shots, like a helicopter shot, a dolly shot, and then an interior of a hotel room to push through a window uh, in the same movie as a shot where you're pulling out from a actress who's keeping her eye open as it's a slow water-like death spiral as she's on the bottom of the shower. I think it's like there are certain uh, movies that I watched while being educated about movies in film school that blew my mind before I had like any sort of idea of how you could stitch together technical things. Like I knew what a camera was, I knew what lighting was, and I knew what cinematography was in theory. 
but all of those things working together in consort uh, blew my mind. Stuff like Psycho blew my mind. I'm really excited for us to do this this topic today. It's a really fun one. Uh, Neil, before we, we dig into everything, do you want to tell our listeners, in case mm-hmm. they have not heard this from you before, what is the definition of a shot? Well, there are multiple definitions of a shot. It is a very flexible term. And really, it depends on what part of the production process you are in, what the word shot means. So if you are in production and you're on the set of a movie, a shot is any time the camera begins rolling until the camera stops, right? So it's every single camera setup, every single time uh, someone says action and someone says cut. Now, conversely, if you are in the editing room and you're editing your film, uh, a shot is any continuous footage that happens between two edits or two cuts. And that's the more, that's the, uh, the definition that we use more for like one perfect shot when we're making stills and gifts. It's anything that happens between two cuts is, is fair game as a shot. It is often confused. I think folks think that we uh, say shot when we mean scene. But no, a scene is is multiple shots stitched together by editing. And, and I think I've seen the converse because you guys use stills a lot. That's people sure. think it means a frame, you know, right. just like one single frame that could be, you know, screenshot as yeah. an image. But yeah. Yeah. A shot is it's it's uh, the most basic definition is it's a series of frames that run for an uninterrupted period of time. And what we're talking about this week is series of frames <laughs> that run until the credits start. <laughs> That might come up later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Neil, you want to you wanna give us the exact rules rundown today? Absolutely. This week's debate, the best final shot in cinema <laughs> history. The basic rule is your chosen shot must be the last thing the audience sees before the credits roll. Although I'm sure by the end of this podcast, we will have stretched that <laughs> as far as it can go. This is also where we give away a couple of awards. Uh, We have Category Crown and a Category Clown this week. Uh, Two movies come to mind for Category Crown. Uh, There's a 2016 film called Immortality. Uh, It's a movie from Iran. And Russian Ark, a movie from 2002. Both of these films, uh, Immortality at 145 minutes and Russian Ark at uh, 96 minutes, are themselves single fluid shots from start to end. So they win the crown for being films that end on the exact same shot that they started with, which is insanely difficult to do. I believe there's also another movie called Victoria from a couple of years ago that did this as well, where it's a single shot. So category crown goes to uh, any movie, even the ones I didn't mention, where it's all one shot. The category clown is a 2012 found footage movie called The Devil Inside, that ends with, and I kid you not, a <laughs> URL to the real ending. Because going to the movie was not enough. You had to experience the final shot, I guess, on your 2012 cell phone. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's that. I think there's there was another movie recently. might have been The Batman. It's, doesn't The Batman end with a URL? I mean, it's like a post- After, deep, after deep the post credits, credits but yes. Um, but the devil inside actually ended its movie with a URL, and a, that is a, a special kind of crime against cinema. <laughs> All right, each host is going to get one minute to give their initial pitch for their pick. It'll be one minute uninterrupted, unrebutted, because then we get to hit open debate, and then finally we'll add in some listener suggestions to come up with our fourth. 
You should probably know how it works at this point, but we get to choose our order based on who you guys voted for, which means we will be going with Joanna first, then Neil, and then I'll be closing it out. Don't worry, final arguments go in reverse. And we are going to start with Joanna Robinson. We're putting one minute on the clock. My submission here is the indelible image from the end of The Graduate, a 1967 masterpiece by Mike Nichols. It features Dustin Hoffman and Catherine Ross sitting in the back of a bus, flooded with adrenaline from running away from a wedding and, and thinking about starting a new life. And as they are just filled with giddy joy, the camera stays on them and all of that joy and excitement and adrenaline drains out of their bodies. You get to see it in the real time. And an incredible sound cue, Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel, uh, kicks in. This is a shot that has been used as shorthand over and over again in the likes of The Simpsons or Archer or a recent favorite of mine, Starstruck, uh, a great HBO, the second best show on HBO uh, Max right now. Uh, we will talk more about it, but that is my submission and we could discuss whether or not that's the actual final shot of the movie <laughs> neil <laughs> all right start that timer over again because i would like to talk about barry jenkins 2016 film a best picture winner in fact the first black american director to win the best picture oscar moonlight it is a really beautiful story told in three parts about two men growing up in a sort of a tougher neighborhood in Miami and the uh, love that they share as younger men uh, or the sort of chemistry that they share as younger men and the way in which their environment uh, sort of chases them away from uh, what is clear sort of early on in their lives. And this final shot, it's just this beautiful, elegant culmination of the story of a man sort of finally embracing who he is and the child inside him looking back, seemingly in approval, bathed in beautiful Five, blue moonlight. Four, three, three two, two, one. Yeah, see, I'm just going to let, let my time Yeah, just, just end on the title of your film. That's always strong. All right. <clears throat> my nomination is the final shot of 1968's Planet of the Apes. It is a shot that literally got the entire film into production. The original Planet of the Apes novel was optioned before it was even published. What we came to know as the final shot of the movie was added early on in the process when Twilight Zone mastermind Rod Sterling provided the first full draft of the script. At that time, Sterling thought Planet of the Apes would be a Twilight Zone spinoff, so he wrote tirelessly over dozens of working drafts to make this film's conclusion worthy of the silver screen. Although many aspects of Sterling's script would be pared down for budgetary reasons, the final shot stayed throughout the process. Charlton Heston despondent on the beach, realizing it was Earth all along is an amazing twist that is contained to the final sequence of the movie, allowing the rest of the film's social sci-fi commentary to shine through and be accentuated with the final gut punch. Planet of the Apes' final shot redefines a movie that would still have been great and groundbreaking even if it ended some other way. It's a cherry on top of a film that is so impactful, people could use it as visual shorthand to represent the entire franchise of eight Five, films. And if we're talking four, about Simpsons parodies, three, I got Joanna B. Two, one. <laughs> no, I brought up The Simpsons because I knew you were going to bring up The Simpsons. Something I will say in future. <laughs> I know you're trying to cram as much argument as possible into <laughs> your thing, uh, but I also want to be able to understand you when you're making your opening remarks. 
so much information. Mm-hmm. The f- you're a fast yeah. talker, my guy. I could cl- I could clarify anything I just said yeah. if you want me to no. luxuriate in my opening statement a bit. I know that we have gone kind of hammer and tongs on the show in the past, but I just want to say I think you both picked tremendous films and tremendous options here. And I'm not just sucking up because we're about to get into the question of whether or not mine is even eligible. <laughs> But Neil picked one of my favorite movies of all time. That is a beautiful, beautiful, beautifully shot movie. And then Dave and I both picked, I think, uh, shots that really make a twist on what the whole narrative of the movie is, um, which I think is interesting. Do you? I just want to ask really quickly to start. Do you feel like we all three did a good enough job describing what our shot is? Because I just want to make sure since this is a podcast and we're talking about a visual thing, do you feel like we all did that? I mean, here's the problem with opening statements being timed to a minute is and a problem that I also learned about last week's is that I'd been trying to put an argument in my opening statement when really I should probably just be describing it what it is a little bit more. Let's do this. Let's describe each other's visually the shot because we've all picked fantastic shots. I think you're you've agreed. I'm going to take Neil's shot which is one of the most beautifully lit shots I think I've ever seen mm. in cinema. But it is Little, which is the first persona of our main character as he takes on, I think it's Little, Chiron, and Black are the three names mm-hmm. uh, that he uh, goes by. And it's after we've already gone all the way through his story, we flash back and he's staring out at the ocean. My shot also has an ocean, maybe that makes it better. There's staring out <laughs> at the ocean lit by the moonlight, the titular moonlight, and he turns around and we get to observe in his face, you know, the future that we know he's going to have. And I think it really brings a full, like, gut punch, just visually, to the journey that we've been on. Neil, what do you remember about the end of The Graduate? Well, there's, I mean, the shot that (laughs) Joanna describes is iconic. I think it's an iconic meme as well. You know, it's very often used on the internet of the two of them sitting at the back of the bus. And as the sort of adrenaline starts to wear off, you see them sort of begin to calm down. And doesn't she give him a little look, right? Yeah, and, and they both kind of look forward to the camera and their smiles are just wiped off their faces. As yeah, and it, like, it becomes Uh-oh. a little ambiguous yeah. in a really sort of interesting way. And then, of course, the actual, the, the final shot is the reverse. It is the bus driving away. And... I hate to make too much of an argument in favor of Joanna because I do someday want to win one of these. <laughs> but I think that you have two things working uh, as an advantage for the graduate. One, if you asked 100 people what the final shot of the graduate was, they would absolutely tell you that it's the shot of their faces and not the shot of the bus driving away because it is a significantly more iconic moment. But also, I really like the shot of the bus driving away in combination, right? So you you're ultimately have these two shots that work so perfectly together because that the shot of the bus driving away gives you that moment to sort of process what you've what you've done. I think it works very similarly with Moonlight where it's not just this beautiful final image, it is the weight of the scene before that where we have adult Chiron telling adult Kevin that he was the only man who ever touched him. And and he means that in so many different ways. And it's him finally admitting that, you know, he's lived this, you know, difficult life in these environments where people are telling him that the person inside him is wrong. And then we get to sort of have this cathartic moment at the end with 
the child version of himself. So I think, you know, the sort of definition of a great final shot, it it does matter what comes immediately before that, right? The context uh, absolutely matters. I don't exactly remember what the shot before the final shot of Planet of the Apes is, but maybe I, I Joanna remembers. I don't really either. <laughs> I mean, it's just on the beach and it's, it's oh my God, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. Like, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a fantastic- yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, If we're just doing the Simpsons adaptation <laughs> of it, it's going to be harder for me to argue. It's a fantastic storytelling moment. Uh, an incredible, An incredible moment. And as you say it, recontextualizes the whole movie and i and i can't argue with that again dave and i have picked i think real storytelling moments where i think neil might have an advantage visually definitely has an advantage Mm. visually but i think that the question then becomes about emotion because neil was talking a lot about like this idea of emotion and planet of the apes gives me this great oh my god i was wrong moment and moonlight definitely makes me feel a lot of emotions but the thing the recontextualizing work that the end of the graduate does not just for that movie but for like all wrong all happy endings ever (laughs) what happens after happily ever after you have to sit on a bus and think about what you just did that's why it's it's really sticking for me like that that moment and the fact that it wasn't even in the script like in the script it says you know dave is making this point i think about planet of the apes and sort of like what's in the script and what winds up on the screen and what winds up getting cut and in the script it's just they're happy. She grabs his hand. She looks at him. That's a completely different ending from what right. the lingering <laughs> shot gives you uh, at the end of the graduate. So, yeah, and I think that probably works for both of you uh, in your arguments, in the sense that the graduate has had time to be a very influential movie ending. Same thing with Planet of the Apes. It's one of the great sort of shock recontextualization endings. Whereas mine, I mean, other than being a masterpiece and having been directed by one of the, our, our greatest working filmmakers <laughs> at the moment, it is other a fairly fresh movie. And, yeah. you know, it's from only a couple of years ago. And I think that we, it may take us a few more decades to see the kind of impact that Barry Jenkins and his cinematographer, James Laxton, have on, uh, on movies going forward. Doesn't make it any less powerful in my mind, but if we're looking for historical value. There are some points, some points there for both The Graduate and Planet of the Apes. I do have this question. I think that, the, that the, a great final shot or final moment can serve a lot of different purposes. You know, I talked about Moonlight being sort of this elegant culmination and sort of this cathartic release of energy. I think we have stuff like Planet of the Apes where it is fully changing what you thought was happening in this movie. And I also think there's that old Hollywood adage of leaving the audience wanting more, which some great final shots do. I guess it's a question of which of those sort of goals you find more valuable. I think we do get caught up, especially in a lot of movies today, with films that feel the need because of intellectual property contracts to leave the audience with like a question or some sort of promise of the future. I think of like Batman Begins and the fact that it sort of ends with the Joker card. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) we need to promise people something to bring them back. Whereas I think in R3, even though Planet of the Apes went on to spawn a significantly long franchise, I don't think that was the goal of any of these three movies, final moments, right? I I don't think they were necessarily leaving us 
having to leave us wanting more. And I think that's good personally. Like I enjoy, I enjoy a movie that feels complete. And I think the final shot is a huge part of that. I do. I do think that uh, Dave's about to talk, but this is about his movie. So I'm interrupting. Um, I do think that Dave's final shot is almost like a pre post credit stinger, right? Like mm. if, if that movie were made now, that shot comes at the end of, the credits sure. and it's like return it's, to planet of the apes with us next spring it's definitely on the candidate list for like patient zero of the leave them hanging end. Yeah, yeah. yeah i mean but it is and it isn't it was supposed to be the first twilight zone movie so it was literally just taking script that had some cool sci-fi things to say giving it to rod sterling and being like hey put your twilight zone spin on it and then by the time it went into production it was something else but what always stayed was that twist ending. So even if you're recasting the actors who are going to be playing uh, Dr. Zeus or Nova or any of these things, uh, they all know that's where it's going to end. Even if you're changing the ape society itself to bring the budget down, you still know where it's going to end. And I want to push back a little bit. I know we're all being super nice to each other, but... <laughs> Joanna's final shot was found. Neil's final shot could have been there all the time. I feel like could have been in editing. Mine was a production shot on the beach at Malibu from a very specific angle to match a matte painting. They helicoptered the horses in. They helicoptered the whole cast in. They built a 70-foot tall uh, scaffolding to shoot the reverse shot, which... Apparently, according to Joanna, I could use that. They built a 70-foot tall scaffolding to use a reverse shot and a quarter-sized paper mache head of the Statue of Liberty to shoot Charlton Heston down on his knees. And he says, God damn you, damn you all to hell. And then the um, censors at the time watched it and is like, hey, we can't have that in the movie. And Charlton Heston argued, he's like, no, no, I'm not taking the Lord's name in vain. I am telling the one true Christian God to damn the people in hell that allowed this to happen. Moses himself movie... said that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's how uh, the movie ended up having both of those things together. Yeah. And Mine's many, whole, many years later, we production. found out he was talking about James Franco. <laughs> yes. Um, I think I think what's really interesting is that, I don't know, uh, to, to the history point, I found out about my shot and Dave's shot from like parodies of them before I saw the movies themselves. In mm -hmm. the example of Planet of the Apes, I saw it in Spaceballs, uh, There Goes the Neighborhood, like before I, <laughs> I saw Planet of the Apes. Uh, and then with mine, I mean, like, ugh, uh, The Graduate is the reason why my mom kept her maiden name, is the reason why she's not Mrs. Robinson. Like, it, it's this, like, part <laughs> of our culture. Um, and I agree, with, I agree with Neil that Moonlight definitely deserves to be in the long run, but maybe isn't quite there yet, even though it's, like, my one of my favorite movies of all time and my favorite Oscars moment <laughs> belongs to Moonlight. But um, but yeah, maybe isn't quite as sticky in the culture yet. That's what I would say. Mm, I'm going to throw a little bone to Neil here. His shot <laughs> is literally the reverse of the poster. So it's almost like your first entrance into the movie. You're walking into the theater. You're pulling it up on your streaming service. You see the front a little. And then at the end of the movie, you're at the back of Little and he turns around to acknowledge you again. And it's a pretty poetic moment from a visual that describes the entire film. Yeah. I thought the movie I mean, poster was the three faces and like triangulated with the multiple. Yeah, yeah. Colors. He's looking at you. Okay. 
the I, and then shot. maybe you get that uh, sure and uh, i mean i would actually dislike neil's shot more or more if it's split into three different versions of the kid at the end <laughs> i think it's exactly what it needs to be yeah i mean it's it's poetic and i think it fits so well with the rest of the movie the way it's shot and the intimacy that they're going for i, I always think of this quote from james laxton the cinematographer of moonlight and he said <laughs> You see, you know, I love that you're like, I always think about this quote. I, I think that about I James Laxton a lot. <laughs> yeah. We can't prove him wrong. He, he very well might. Okay. Well, he says, you see through the eyes of the characters. At times, they speak into the lens as if they're talking to you. Since the subject and tenor of the film was so sensitive, we needed to have that intense subjectivity, that intense relationship is what he's talking about between the character and the camera. And I think that that. Having that really come to fruition at the end, right at the end of that film, I think puts such a beautiful button on a story that, you know, I can think of other, there are so many other shots from Moonlight that come to my head. The shot of Mahershala Ali and young Chiron Little in the water. In the water. The the close-ups of the two adults in the diner, that beautiful diner scene. And all of it is just so seamless and so purposeful. And it's all about that as James Laxton describes, intense subjectivity for the camera. And so, you know, it's it's poetic, but I think there's something so incredibly special about not only that movie, but the way it the way it, it lets the audience breathe for a second at the end after so much sort of built up tension. Yeah, it's good. I continue to say it's good. <laughs> I have a question for you two based on that. Um, I feel like both of your final shots add complexity but also maybe ambiguity there isn't a subtitle that says hey this is what you're supposed to get out of this shot Mm -hmm. whereas i feel like mine is uh you know maybe to its detriment but there's no mistaking what we're supposed to get from the the end of planet of the apes how important do you feel it is for an ending shot to really be a period or do you think an ellipsis leads to further discussion of the movie? I would disagree with you. I think that both of our shots, actually, I feel very confident I know what's going on in both of those. What I will say for you is that it requires the audience to sort of push their emotions up to meet the emotions on the screen or their own life experience up to meet that. You know, so when like Chiron is looking at his younger self or his younger self is looking back at Chiron and it's sort of this this uh, that moment of healing and of connection I feel that and I understand it. It doesn't feel ambiguous to me what's going on internally for him. And I think similarly with The Graduate, I think anyone who I don't think it's supposed to be ambiguous about how they're feeling in that moment. It's a very I mean, the fact that kick in the music cue of Hello Darkness, my old friend, and we are all supposed to know (laughs) exactly what that means. And I think what's so interesting about that, about that commentary specifically, is The Graduate existed at a time, Mike Nichols as a young film director, the book as sort of this totem of, you know, The the Graduate was the novel, and this book is a sort of totem of the youth movement of the 60s, and how the the movie is in some ways a celebration of that generation, because obviously, like, the the older generation and their fixation on plastics, etc., are made fun of in the movie, but that shot of, okay, but is all of your impulsivity actually going where you think it's going to go or are there other consequences to it? 
uh, is almost like a generational commentary. And again, I just I don't feel like that commentary is ambiguous. Neil, what do you think? Sure. I mean, I think it'll it's not ambiguous, but it does leave the audience room to sort of, you know, imagine very immediately what happens to those characters. Like it's it's more of an interesting thought experiment um, to think about what happens to those two at the end of the graduate or where, you know, Chiron and Kevin's relationship goes in Moonlight. With Planet of the Apes, I don't know if I would even call it a period. It's more of an exclamation mark at the end of that movie. <laughs> and this really does come to sort of the the essential debate when it comes to like what is the greatest sort of final shot or final moment of any movie. It kind of depends on what you prefer. You know, do you do you prefer the movie to sort of let you fill in a little bit at the end and imprint some of your own your own world experience your own self or do you need the movie to give you a very definitive answer and i think planet of the apes does give you a very definitive answer on uh you know i don't know if it's a question people who saw it in what was it 1968 when it came out people seeing it in theaters for the first time i'm not sure if they were like sitting there going oh my god is this really earth like was this earth the whole time <laughs> But is this a climate change metaphor? <laughs> once you know it, you're never going to forget it, right? Once you know that that is the, you know, sort of devolved version of Earth, um, then, uh, then yeah, it's, uh, it's, like I said, it's like an exclamation point. And I think what's great about the, the course and history of cinema, the great curve of cinematic history, is that it has given us great moments for everyone like there there is a perfect final shot out there for every single person um i would argue that for the purposes of this debate and this poll it's definitely moonlight but you know <laughs> i love how we didn't have a discussion in advance about being nicer to each other but this just feels like i sure. think i'm just so happy for neil that i like i'm, I'm not in the mood <laughs> to fight my old friends today Should yeah we well it's in the spirit of one perfect shot it's about celebrating it's not a, <laughs> it's, it's not a, like an arbiter of taste or anything do we hear from our listeners? Let's. We have each picked listener submissions. Where could people submit or talk back to the show? Well, you know, you can always email us, trialbycontent at gmail.com. You can submit your answers for each week's debate. You can also, as we talked about at the end of last week's show, you can send us ideas for future debates. We're always looking for evergreen topics that we can slide in there on a, you know, a week where there's not a perfectly good thing to peg it to. <laughs> Yeah, and it's also helpful because we're very familiar with fighting each other based on our specific picks, but it's always good to have some outside examples in there mm -hmm. yeah, so we don't get in a bat cave type echo chamber, I don't think. Uh, all right, I am going to go with uh, listener Ian, who picked the Blair Witch Project. They say, Mike standing motionless, staring into the corner. It is still terrifying and chilling to this day. Even if modern sensibilities have blunted the impact of the rest of the movie, it's the best because it shouldn't work. There's nothing objectively terrifying about the image. The shot out of context is a nothing burger, but as the culmination of the entire movie, it packs a hell of a punch. I'm going to assume everybody's seen Blair Witch and knows why it packs a hell of a punch. I love this. And, will you, uh, will also, you tell me why, in, assuming that I haven't seen Blair Witch? Absolutely. Uh, the idea of the first Blair Witch Project is we don't actually ever see the witch. 
nor do we know if there is anything supernatural happening, but we do hear stories of uh, Ellie Kedward, who was supposed to be uh, the Blair Witch, and a gentleman with the last name of Parr who lived in her old abandoned house and would uh, abuse children, but specifically would take them in twos and make one character or one child face the corner of the room while he tortured slash murdered the other child. This is all passed on through like legend, but then the final shot of the movie is it's been shot on a high eight camera because uh, it's a found footage film. It drops and we see one character facing the corner, meaning our char- main character is probably doomed to ghost violence. Ghost violence? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's, it's, kind of it's not the worst. No, no, it's not the worst type of violence, but it is, it is a bad type of it, violence. And you know what? It's as someone who went to see the Blair Witch Project in theaters when it first came out in, what, 99? Mm-hmm. When people still weren't entirely sure that it was fake. You know, like there were a lot of people that thought that we were watching sort of a, a found, an actual found footage thing. It's a really terrifying ending, and uh, I think that uh, Ian, the the listener writing in, is is correct. Out of context, sort of a very simple shot uh, from a low angle because the camera's supposed to be on the ground of just a guy standing there. But what it means in the context of the movie, especially especially in that time where people, like I said, were hearing all sorts of like urban legends that this thing might be real, which is very silly. But, you know, 99 was a hell of a time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think It was terrifying. It was yeah. bone chilling. And I don't know that the legacy of the Blair Witch has, like, sustained the way that we thought it would at the height mm-hmm. of, of Blair Witch Media in 99. But at the, at the time, and for many years after, just the image of someone standing facing a corner, like, meant something, you know? Sure. I think that's true. <laughs> um, I'm going to go next. Um, I, I want to say a couple things really quickly. Number one, I just want to shout out listener Rolf who wrote in with the graduate. I just want to promise you I had already picked the graduate when you wrote your email, but like shout, I, I never want someone to think I just stole their email. So sure. thank you for submitting the graduate. Also, this guy I dated in college, uh, grew up in Laverne, California, which is where the graduate church is. Um, and like the first time I went to visit his family, he took, Oh, so you're saying you've church. been there and we should yep. vote for you. You've been there? <laughs> you shouldn't vote for me, but, and actually he called it the Wayne's world church. So there's all that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, nice. anyway, <laughs> um, he was, he's a lovely, lovely, wonderful, uh, guy. Okay. Anyway, my submission comes from a listener uh, named Winnie. She has picked one of my favorite movies of all time. 2000's Billy Elliot, if you're unfamiliar with that movie or the subsequent stage musical, is a story of a young boy uh, who, who wants to be a ballet dancer. So when he writes, the last three minutes of Billy Elliot from when the dad and the brother are on the train rushing to get to the theater through the final shot of Billy leaping through the air on stage are sublime. The Swan Lake theme starts to crescendo and we cut back and forth between Billy backstage all grow up in his swan costume and makeup, obviously a star, and his family in the audience anticipating his appearance. The buildup gives us just enough time to reflect on the journey he and his dad have taken to get to this point before we and the audience see him leap onto the stage in all his feathery glory. The shot that makes this the greatest film ending is when we see the dad take, oh my God, I'm going to cry. When we see the dad (laughs) take a sharp intake of breath when he sees his son, it renders me to tears every time. So let me just give a little bit more context if I may. Billy Elliot, which stars the great uh, Jamie Bell as young Billy, I think it is a slightly controversial choice to end this movie 
with a different actor playing Billy. It's Adam Cooper. We've never seen him elsewhere in the movie. He's a he's a ballet dancer that they put, but he's got these like really strong back, incredibly just like incredible stuff. And it mines this really popular uh, production of Swan Lake at the time, Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake, where the swans, which are historically played by dainty ballerinas, were played by these powerful men. It was a hugely popular production that toured all around the world. And so to put that Swan Lake in this movie, to make Billy the lead ballerino, and to show all these young ballet dancers backstage sort of like peeking around the curtain to see him take this leap, all adds to that context. The dad crying <laughs> as he watched play by the great Gary Lewis. Incredible stuff. And then it cuts. I think the final shot is Adam Cooper as Billy leaping through the air. But as the credit rolls, it then cuts to young, adorable Jamie Bell. This character is later played, of course, by Tom Holland on, on the stage, jumping in the air in like childlike glee listening to T-Rex music. So just like that connective tissue between the two. But I just I think it's a stunning, a stunning moment for a stunning emotional film. Absolutely. Okay, so we've we've talked about a bunch of films with very specific, understandable endings. I have picked one from a listener that <laughs> is on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> and this comes from Zach. And Zach writes, The greatest final shot in movie history is in A Serious Man. In what I believe is the Coen brothers' best film, I think they also produced the greatest ending of all time. Many movies end on ambiguous... M- movie endings uh, making the watcher try and decide what the character will do next serious man ends with an ambiguous ending about the things that we can never be certain of in this life the coens don't try to answer what role morality plays in a chaotic world or if there is any kind of higher power does the school get hit by a tornado what is the bad news that larry's doctor has for him are these a result of larry's moral corruption or just the randomness of the world. These aren't just questions about the movie, but they force us to examine how we feel about the world. While there are more cathartic endings, no movie is more thought-provoking and powerful than A Serious Man. I think this is a great pick, uh, mostly because I think, as I said, it it exists if uh, Planet of the Apes is an exclamation point ending that gives us a very clear answer about what's going on. A Serious Man ends with this shot of, you know, it's this movie that the Coen brothers made that is obsessed with whether or not being moral is something that matters in the world. And it asks, as Zach puts in in his description, a bunch of questions at the end. And then a tornado shows up (laughs) in the final (laughs) shot. And it's, you know, this over-the-shoulder shot of the kid with his headphones in watching as this tornado this massive tornado is bearing down on him and then that's it we're left to figure out you know what the hell it, you know happens after that what does any of that mean and i think that uh i wanted to choose this one uh because it's not only a great choice but i think that there is room in this discussion to talk about the true ellipses endings that exist for movies and how those have value too because you know i think the coen brothers they are a really talented pair, you know, as filmmakers. And <laughs> um, it's the one thing I love about A Serious Man is, is 
is how sort of intense it is about asking questions and then how very casual that ending feels uh, in as far as answering them. And that seems to be the point of the movie in my mind that, you know, we can never truly find the answers to what it means to be moral and whether or not there is any sort of higher power. And I think that it's, it's one of the great endings in expressing the randomness and the chaos of the universe. So a serious man, uh, we, we've now run the full gamut of, uh, whether or not we need answers at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a Indeed. really, this is a really pleasant conversation, but that, so far, right? But like, we have to, we have to be merciless here. We have to sure, narrow these down true. to one, yeah. Because we've decided pre-show, we're not allowed to kick ourselves out of topics. There has to be one listener to rule them all. I, I wanted to put Billy Elliot in here because it's a sentimental favorite for me, but I appreciate that Billy Elliot does not have a stranglehold on the culture the way that it has a stranglehold on my heart. Sure. So I'm I'm willing to knock Billy Elliot out of the running. It's like a great it's a great sequence, but also I'm gonna I'm gonna say this that's probably gonna you know piss some people off. I don't like movies that end on freeze frames. Ooh, that is wow that is the new like the Newsies Hive rises up in protest. Sure. Uh, the Newsies Hive, the anyone who likes Breakfast hive Club, is coming for you. like yeah yeah yeah. There's lots of people that are coming for me. But a freeze frame isn't a, isn't an ellipses. It's the movie ended. And like the, the it stopped. You just are just like that's the end, uh, sure. which I, I I feel is you know maybe in the case of Billy Elliot, absolutely because as Joanna mentioned, it goes on to compare specific freezes and allow the character to connect with his past emotionally, which is kind of what Moonlight, Moonlight does for yeah. me, but without uh, without a freeze frame. So again, love Billy Elliot. Dad crying gets you every time. That's not the last shot. It's that that's a great final sequence. I think we gotta we gotta kick it out. I think sequence over shot, I would agree. Okay. So Blair Witch versus a serious man. Yeah, and this really comes down to, you know, if our goal is to get four, you know, really great, sort of diverse options, different kinds of endings, this is a really tough one because do we want to get a little bit of like horror genre representation into our poll. I mean, we've got a little bit of sci-fi. We've got uh, romantic dramedy with The Graduate. <laughs> yeah. We've got, you know, in incredibly heartfelt drama and realism from Moonlight. Uh, the Blair Witch would, would round it out with a horror movie. And in the same way, though, I think A Serious Man would round it out with just something absolutely fucking weird. <laughs> Because that's that's what a serious man it represents that entire division of weird, ambiguous endings of which there are many in the history of cinema. So I'm I'm kind of torn here. I mean, I'm also torn. I'll make one argument for the Blair Witch Project, and if it doesn't sell you guys, then I'm willing to concede to a serious man here because I do think they're both uh, kind of open ended. You guys have heard the Blair Witch Project theory that the guys kill Heather, and that's the entire movie is us watching a very planned out murder. Mm -hmm. No, but if you told me that today was going to end with Dave telling me a, a bonkers theory behind Blair Witch Project, I would have believed you because you were the perfect <laughs> yeah. source for this information. <laughs> yeah, so the first guy who disappears before they even get to the house is actually inside the house causing the different sounds that are just his voice uh, leading Heather on a chase through the house that ends when she finds the murdering partner. And so that's not somebody that's taken over by a ghost. 
That's somebody who is successfully oh. gotten to the end of a long playing murder plot. It's not ghost violence, it's human violence. Yeah, that started <laughs> when he kicked the map into the stream. Like, who else would do that if you're not trying to get a person lost and, yeah. and murder them? Ex- it's Expl- like exploring this theory would require me to watch the Blair Witch Project again. And let me tell you, I'm never doing that because I watched it in the movie theater. I got so sick from the handheld camera that I then went and threw up in a Chili's bathroom. So, yeah, but that was 1999. <laughs> you could watch it. <laughs> You could watch it on your phone now the way it was meant to be seen whenever you want. That's how All you right. got me to watch Cloverfield, and that also made me sick. Anyway. Um, I, I think at this point, I, I would happily concede, even though I am a huge yeah. Coen Brothers fan, I'm but Blair Witch. just to get to the story of Joanna throwing up in a Chili's bathroom <laughs> after seeing Blair Witch, I think that earns it a spot in the poll. And also, you know, shout out to the to the found footage horror. It's it's a lovely subgenre of its I've own. never eat, it is. eaten pesto again. That <laughs> night. Anyway. Well, not only is it like a landmark of found footage horror, but basically from here on out, all found footage horror by its nature needs to have a killer last shot. Like Blair Witch made it part of, of the vernacular for that particular genre. All right. Blair Witch it is. Yeah, I did it. Thanks, Ian. All right, guys, that means it's going to be time for some final statements. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Final statements are going to start with me because I made my last opening remark. And I feel like I just talked about genre-defining stuff for the Blair Witch Project, but that applies as much to uh, Planet of the Apes. Again, I want to say we've been talking a lot about like what an ending means and whether it's an exclamation point or an ellipsis. I think I agree with Neil that mine's an exclamation point, but it's an exclamation point that uh, exists outside of the narrative of all the other films, yet represents all the other films. So it's uh, somewhat of a pinnacle of what one shot could represent as it is uh, carried on uh, through the Andy Circus days of what a Planet of the Apes film means. It means it was Earth all along. God damn you. All to hell. <laughs> Actual Christian God, you should send people to hell. <laughs> well, I think this debate really does come down to what kind of ending do you value most? Do you need an exclamation point to fill your soul? Do you need ambiguity or do you need a serene, beautiful culmination that allows you to process the wonderful story you've just experienced and a final image that will be with you for probably the rest of your life if you're me? Um, And I'll just say that, uh, and this is is as true as me throwing up in a Chili's bathroom, I have not been to... (laughs) a wedding in my adult life, honestly, without thinking about The Graduate. And I'm not thinking about Dustin Hoffman banging on a window and going, Elaine! I'm thinking about that moment where you're just sort of like, oh, now what? 
Now what do we do? And I think about it in every like love story you see on film and every love story. It's like kind of ruined and enhanced every single love story ever. Every like Jane Austen novel that ends with a wedding. And then you're like, and then what? Were Lizzie and Darcy happy? I don't know. Or maybe they sat on a bus and Simon and Garfunkel kicked in. <laughs> um, I think it's it's just sort of a complete unraveling of an entire genre and an entire generation. And that's why I think The Graduate is the uh, the most powerful Final shot. Also the back of that bus. And uh, we are all hotel. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> all right, that's it. I can't rebut. Neil can't rebut. Anybody who's ever invited Joanna to a wedding thinking she wished them, wished them well cannot rebut. Because this I is a podcast. I wish you well. I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> you could now make sure that your opinion's heard because it's up to you. You could find our poll for the best final shot in movie history on TheRinger.com, on at Ringer on Twitter, and in the Spotify app where you find Trial by Content. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. Huh. All right, Neil, it's time for our final podcast shot. What are we debating next week? Oh, I am so glad you asked, because <laughs> this one is both epic and very specific. Uh, next week, we will be debating the best vampire sire in all of our pop culture. And uh, for those who aren't super familiar with what that means, uh, it is the vampire that you would want to turn you into a vampire. And then you would spend the rest of eternity uh, enjoying, hopefully, their company. So, this is, who... this is how, yeah, this is how we got around the idea of like, what does it mean to be the best vampire? Exactly. So, and let me just clarify really quickly because I think I'm the one who tossed the word sire into the mix here. Um, that vamp the vampire that we're picking doesn't have to have ever sired someone on film sure. and television, but you want them to sire you. Yes. Uh, we, in other words, yeah. We are we are planting our flag firmly in the understanding that uh only a vampire can create another vampire and that you, the participant, would like to become a vampire. We want to know which vampire you want to make you. A vampire. Consensual, it, consensual fighting. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, affirmative consent, even. Uh, and this has to be any vampire from movies or television. As always, send your picks and a few sentences to support your pick to trialbycontent at gmail.com. You can also, of course, submit uh, suggestions for future trial by content topics. If there's a great pop culture debate that you'd like us to settle, send it on over. We love it. All right, that's going to be this week's Trial by Content. Make sure to vote, and we will see you next week. This episode was produced by Carlos Cherubon. Oh my God, I was wrong. <laughs> it, it was, was Earth, Earth all, all along. along. <laughs> yes, you finally made a monkey. Yes, oh, we, we finally, finally made, made a monkey. monkey. Yes, you finally made a monkey out of me. I love you, Dr. Zayas. <laughs> 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 <laughs>